Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Of course, you guys are tired of hearing it, but I don't care. We are here to know God and make him known. We want to grow in our own personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and be equipped to go out and live the Christian life in such a way that we proclaim his name to everyone we encounter. As we are doing that and seeking to do that, we're trying to get more acclimated, more in touch with his word in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it up. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 today. Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we are wanting to study Revelation the right way. And, and what we mean by that is that we understand that Revelation is meant to be a blessing to us. So everyone who will read it, hear it, and obey it will be blessed is the promise given to us in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. So this letter called Revelation, it shouldn't be one that we're afraid of. Instead, it should be one in which we find great blessing and, and things to obey and implement in our life today and always moving forward. Uh, if you've got your Bible, then Revelation chapter 3. If you've got the Bible app, you should find uh, our summary slides in there for today. Not all the little detail slides that I'm going to have up. Uh, because much like the last couple of weeks, I thought I would get through more churches faster. And I'm not able to because I run my mouth. And so um, uh, we're, we're going to cover what we cover and then see where we end. So hopefully we'll get one church today at least. <laughs> um, so Revelation chapter three, uh, verses or chapters two and three are letters to seven churches there in Asia, the province of Asia in the empire of Rome. And each of these letters includes an introduction by Jesus as he tells the church who he is and in light of their needs. And he says to them, I know your works, how you live, what kind of people you are. And almost all of these letters, he also says, I have something against you. There's something where you're not living this Christian life as you should. So he then calls them to a specific act of obedience or repentance. And then he makes a promise about what is to come for those who will be faithful and endure and conquer this life and enter into the next in Christ. And then he challenges everybody in every one of these letters to each church, if you have ears to hear, that you listen. And once again, you can, if you're uncertain, you can reach up, you can touch your head, and you can know that if that's true, and Jesus says, everybody who has ears to hear should listen and do this, it means you too. He's not just talking to these churches alone. So we've already gone through four churches. We have three left. We've looked at Ephesus. In Ephesus, the command was to return to your first love. And the reminder for all of us as Christians is that we can be very faithful in what we believe and even in what we do. But if we do uh, this Christian life without a passion for Christ and for one another, we will grow cold. And we will... Uh, well, we'll be threatened with not being a church anymore if we can't love one another and love God like we're supposed to. So return to our first love. 
the church in Smyrna who he, he really encouraged. He says, essentially, don't be afraid. Instead, be faithful. They were suffering under intense persecution. But from, from Jews and from Gentiles alike, and Jesus' only command for them is, listen, trust me, I got this. Turn away from, from the things of this life and simply be faithful to me. The church in Pergamum, his whole command is, repent. Turn away from the way that you're living life that's following after the ways of this world and instead turn back to me. To the church in Thyatira, a church that like Pergamum, or excuse me, Smyrna was undergoing persecution. His answer for them is, hold on, hold on until I come back. So now we get to chapter three and in chapter three, verses one through six, we see the letter to the church of Sardis. And Sardis was, uh, you know, in that mix there in Asia, and it was famous for its wool garments. Uh, It was famous for the simple fact that twice in its history prior to this, it had been invaded in the middle of the night and its guards had been caught sleeping. And, and so the, the city had been invaded and taken over because of people who were supposed to be on the watch falling short of their duties. And so what we have here in Sardis is a, a church that is, is uh, surrounded by, well, uh, like all of the others, a, a Gentile, a heathen world, and they're struggling with their faith. And here is what Jesus has written to them. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Write to the angel of the church in Sardis. Thus says the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains, which is about to die. For I have not found your works complete before my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you are not alert, I will come like a thief, and you have no idea at what hour I will come upon you. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes, and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. In the same way, the one who conquers will be dressed in white clothes, and I will never erase his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. So here Jesus writes to this church in Sardis, or has John write to the church in Sardis, and he introduces himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now we, we might begin to struggle and wonder, what, what are the seven spirits of God? Now, if we look back into chapter 1, if you remember, we see in chapter 1 of Revelation that there are seven lampstands before the throne of God, and they represent the spirits of God before his throne. And we we understand uh, through other scriptures that this is a picture of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the perfect representation of God the Father, God the Son, the triune God. And these these seven lampstands represent seven different aspects of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to chapter 3 here and Jesus says, He has the seven spirits of God and He has the seven stars. So Jesus is in possession 
of the Holy Spirit. And we might think of that as like a tool, but really that Jesus is saying that I am filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is, is with me in, 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 in power and authority. Now, a lot of us, we might think of that and we go, well, wait a minute. I, I thought Jesus was God. Yes. Well, isn't the Holy Spirit God too? Yes. Do you mean that God is in God? Yes. That's actually a doctrinal formula that we've built up over the years and understanding based upon scripture is that the father dwells in the son and the son dwells in the father and the Holy Spirit dwells in the father and the son and, and, and the son dwells in the Holy Spirit and the father dwells in the Holy Spirit. And it's a concept. Here you go. It's your dollar word for the day. This is a dollar word. This isn't a nickel word. This is one that'll like win you some points. It's called perichoresis. P-E-R-I-C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. And what does it mean? It means that the Father dwells in the Son and the Spirit. And the Son dwells in the Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit dwells in the Father and the Son. Three in one. One God, three persons in perfect fellowship and unity. Each dwelling fully within the other and being fully indwelt by the other two. Now, we might look at this and go, well, where else do we know that the Spirit dwells? And if you look around the room, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be confident that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. The fullness of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, dwells within you and equips you and empowers you and matures you. But you know what's unique about our relationship with the Holy Spirit? We do not dwell within Him in the same way that Jesus and the Father would dwell within the Holy Spirit. Now you might say, Michael, you're just confusing me. And I'll say, that's okay. We'll stop here. If you have more questions about this concept and how the Trinity dwells within one another, we're going to get into a little bit of the scripture here in a second. But don't hesitate to come and ask me. I would love to talk doctrine anytime with anyone, especially if there's food involved. So we see Jesus introduces himself as being the one who is filled with the spirit. And he says that he has the seven stars. And if we look back into chapter one, the the scripture itself tells us what the seven stars are. What are the seven stars? Well, they are, according to chapter one, verse 20, the angels of the seven churches. Now, what are the angels of the seven churches? Well, there's been some discussion. Maybe they're the an angel, like a guardian angel for each church. It could be that that angel is simply just the word that we would use for messenger, and it could be representative of the pastors of each of the seven churches. It really doesn't matter exactly who the angel is. What does matter, though, is this picture that Jesus is holding the angel for each church in his hand. Now, why is that significant? He has authority over all the churches. And not only does he have authority, but he has the power to protect and preserve each of the churches and its leadership. And so we see Jesus telling this church here in Sardis, here's the deal, guys. I am the one who is all powerful. I am the one who is all protecting. I am the one who rules and reigns over the church. And you need to listen to me. 
So we can see this like a couple of passages just to, to understand this idea of perichoresis and the, the Father dwelling in the Son and the Spirit and the Spirit dwelling in the Son and the Father. And, and we can look in John chapter 14, verses 10 and 11, and Jesus says this, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. You see, Jesus is, is giving us this picture of how the Trinity mutually indwells each of the other persons, that they are fully involved. They are not three gods separated. They are one God, intimately connected in indwelling, expressing in three persons. Colossians chapter 1 actually says this, verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And that him is Jesus. So we see this picture of the Trinity. And if you've ever seen this symbol, this symbol is meant to express this. Three mutually indwelling one another and still one. And so this, this picture of the Trinity and Jesus is, is declaring, I am the triune God, the, the one who has authority over all and the spirit dwells within me. And then he begins to address the life of the church. And he says this about them. I know your works. You seem alive, but you're actually dead. He actually says it this way. You have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Now, what this means is we have to look at this church and imagine, how do you get a reputation for being alive? Well, you're doing all the right stuff, aren't you? You, you, you look like there's something going on there. But honestly, on the inside, you're dead. Anybody ever been at that kind of place in life where you're jumping through all the hoops? And from other people's perspective, it looks like you are alive in Christ, but you couldn't feel any further away. You couldn't feel any deader on the inside if you tried. You're doing all the right things, but you're not alive. It's interesting, this, this word, you have a reputation for being alive. Reputation actually uh, can be translated, you have a name for being alive. People, people, they name you as a live church. They are declaring you're a live church when in truth you're dead on the inside. And so we see that Jesus is telling them that they have a desperate need for the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that comes and indwells us and makes us alive as individual believers and as a church. So Jesus, the one who possesses the Holy Spirit, is saying... Come to me and come alive. And so you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. And so he gives them a command and he says to them, wake up, strengthen what remains, complete your good works. I want you to remember what you have received and heard, and I want you to keep it. And I want you to repent of the way you've been living. And if you do not I will come upon you. Now, let's, let's go through this bit by bit as he expresses it in the letter. He says in verse 2, be alert and strengthen what remains. And that be alert, it literally, in the original language, carries the weight of walking into a room, dumping cold water on a sleeping teenager and saying, get up! 
wake up. It's time to be alert. Now, if you remember, I told you about this city, Sardis. What was unique about them? Well, one of the things is, is they raised wool uh, sheep and, and black sheep specifically and had black wool garments that they were famous for. But also the city had been invaded twice, conquered twice. When? In the middle of the night. Why? Because the people who were supposed to be watching and guarding fell asleep according to the documents in history. And so this city to their shame, had been conquered twice because people fell asleep when they should have been awake. And Jesus is saying to the church in this city, it's about to happen to you again. You're about to be conquered by your enemy. You're about to be destroyed because you're not awake. Church, people look at you and think you're alive But the truth is you're dead and you're about to be fully conquered by your enemy. Wake up. Wake up. Stop just going through the motions, but come back to life. Be alert. And and not only should we wake up, but he also says, strengthen what remains. In other words, he sees in this church There's still a seed of faith. There's still a a bit of life in you. And so it's your job to turn away from what you've been doing, to wake up out of the lethargy and the apathy that you've been living in. Wake up and start to strengthen what's right in your life. Start to strengthen what's right in your faith. Start to strengthen what's right in your church. Stop allowing yourself to just go through the motions. Instead, really come to life together. Now, what would that look like? For the the church here in Sardis, we don't get a lot of detail, but can we imagine what that might look like for us as a church? If we who have ears to hear would listen and respond in obedience, it, it, it could be just unique how things might change as we wake up from just going through the motions and trying to preserve our reputation and instead get genuine about our faith in Jesus Christ. And and as a people together, reject what culture tells us is okay. And and I have to say, uh, social media is so enjoyable and so deadly you know, we, we get there, we get funny videos, we get to laugh at other people and their misfortunes. We get to look down on other people and the stupid things they post, right? And, and we get to, to read the news and wonder, Jesus, why aren't you coming back today? But I got to tell you, too often I see on, on social media, Christians sharing things that are lies straight from the enemy. Twisted up truths that are taken out of context and morphed into self-serving platitudes. And, and we are happy to be asleep. In fact, we, we encourage our sleepiness. We justify our apathy. We, we, we tell ourselves, well, trauma. Or we tell ourselves, well, trouble. And we tell ourselves, I'm busy. But, you know, as long as I'm... This way, it's okay. 
No. Jesus says, wake up. Get serious about your faith. Strengthen what remains. Complete your good works. He's calling the church to to move forward in doing the right things. Not just fixing what you believe, not just feeling the right things, but begin to live out what you say is true in your life. Stop being apathetic. Stop falling asleep. And listen, for as much as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Understand that even even someone like me, as holy and righteous as I am... (laughs) Um, even someone like me, I, I look at my own life and go, why do I compromise? Why do I spend this amount of time every day on Twitter? Now, oftentimes it's quiet, personal time in a reserved room on Twitter, right? But if you get my drift, but, but still, why am I on Twitter? Why am I not reading scripture? Why am I not getting serious about my faith? What, why do I hold my tongue When I'm at a restaurant, instead of sharing Jesus Christ, why am I apathetic? Why am I walking through this life like a zombie, just waiting for Jesus to make things better? Wake up with me. Wake up. And do what you know is right. He he says, you are about to die. Your faith is on the verge of collapse. Now you might go, well, yeah, but I know I'm saved and eternity is sure. Absolutely. You know what? If you have genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there should be no fear of losing your salvation. But there should certainly be concern of being faithful to your Savior. And if your faith and the practice of it is on the verge of death because of your apathy or you're making excuses, wake up. Wake up. And he says this, I have not found your works complete. I have not found your works complete. There's a little bit of negative, you know, stumbling in there, but he's saying you haven't done everything you know you should be doing in your faith. We do not earn our salvation by good works, but good works should be present in the life of every genuine believer. James says it this way, James chapter two, verses 17 and 18. In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. You uh, might say, well, some, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith by my works. James is telling us, just like Jesus is telling the church here in Sardis, you say you have faith, but your works are incomplete. And because your works are incomplete, it makes me think that your faith is dead. And it could even be you have no genuine saving faith. And so we're called to not earn our salvation, but in light of our salvation, wake up and do the right things in this life. Paul writes, in other places. First Thessalonians 5, 2. Uh, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. And you say, well, wait, why is that significant? Because here is why that matters. You need to hear what he's, uh, we've received, keep it, repent. If not, Jesus says he's coming back to judge us. Jesus says he'll come into our midst and, and we'll be weighed The day of the Lord, this day of judgment, it's coming and it's right around the corner. And so, wake up. 
Get rid of the apathy. Come back to the life that Jesus offers you. Be renewed. The day of the Lord will come how like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. A lot of us, we're like, well, listen, I'll get better next week. I'll double down on my faith next month. Once this season of life is over, then we'll get serious as a family. But the thing is, is this could all come to a conclusion any moment now. And Jesus will come to judge. Where will you be found in your faith? Genuinely believing and walking toward him. Yes, not, not always great. Sometimes stumbling, sometimes flat on your face trying to get back up. But walking toward him or apathetic and sitting back and hoping everything's okay. How will you be found? Jesus is coming again. Now, whether that is like here for the church in Sardis as an act of personal judgment or these final days as the Apostle Paul writes about, Jesus will come and he will judge if we will not repent. It's interesting that this actually, he says this a number of times. Uh, he says, I will come. Sometimes it's, a, it's an act of encouragement in him saying this. Chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 25. A little later, we get to chapter 3, verse 11, or chapter 3, verse 20. Chapter 22, 7, 12, and 20. These are actually acts of encouragement saying, I'm coming for you. I'm on my way. But what's interesting is even to the churches here in chapter 2, 5, and 16, in chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, I will come in judgment for those who don't repent. I will come in judgment for those who don't wake up. I will come in judgment ultimately at the end of Revelation in judgment over all of the world. Which is an exciting thing for Christians and a horrific thing for those who are not. And so we're called to this this life of waking up, strengthening what remains because our works are incomplete. So we need to remember what we've been taught. Remember what we've been given. Look, some of us, we've grown up in church We had great Sunday school teachers. Thank you, Sunday school teachers, uh, all age groups. Thank you for investing yourselves. You are giving. Thank you for everybody who's ever taught students in any way within the church. Not students little, but you've had people as students under you, young or old. Because this is critical and it's important. You are helping them to understand the Christian faith. And those of you who have heard and received, keep it. Repent of how you're straying from it. Walk like you know you're supposed to. Because Jesus is coming back. Now Jesus goes on to say that, uh, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not defiled their clothes and they will walk with me in white because they are worthy. So so we see here that, that Jesus is, is saying, okay, church, you got some issues, but there's a few of you. And what you need to do, the few of you who are still right, you need to hang on tight because you will be deemed worthy if you remain faithful. You will walk with me in eternity. So there is this promise after the call to obedience that everyone who continues in faith, everyone who remains faithful to Jesus Christ, all who conquer 
they will be dressed in white clothes and their name will never be erased from the book of life. In fact, Jesus says that he will acknowledge the names of those who conquer before the father and before his angels. And so we see that Jesus is promising, if you wake up, if you strengthen what remains, if you complete your good works, if you remember what you've received and heard, and you keep it and you repent and you remain faithful, you will be dressed in white and walk with him. Now you might go, I don't really prefer white. In fact, I'm kind of a messy eater, and that's why I don't wear white. I end up with a stain, and it's usually right here and rather sizable, and so I'm, I'm not interested. No, listen, it is not necessarily literal white clothes. It is instead a beautiful picture of righteousness and fellowship with him. You, like him, will be holy. You will be made perfect. You will walk with him as he is now complete. And so there's something to look forward to. It's no longer, I got to keep what I've got on clean. It is instead, I am completely clean before God and in perfect relationship with him. And he also says, not only will those who conquer be dressed in white, but your name will never be erased from the book of life. Now we might go, wait a minute, what does that mean? Are there like literal books up there? Maybe. This is not the first time that we see this idea of the book of life in in visions or in revelations. Exodus 32, um, we see that that God and Moses are kind of chatting. And and, uh, Moses is actually, uh, he's talking to God about the children of Israel who have just uh, worship the golden calf and they're committing grievous sin. They're partying and stuff. And, and, and Moses says, listen, I want you to forgive them, please. And if you're not going to forgive them, how about you just wipe my name out of the book of life? Because I'm, I, I would rather not be saved than watch you destroy all of your people. And here's what God says to Moses. Whoever has sinned against me, I will erase from my book. And so there's this picture of the book of life. And when someone is in a rebellion against God, their name will be removed from that book. But Jesus says here, if you conquer, if you remain with me, if you follow after me, if you wake up and you do what you know you should be doing, if you do that, your name will never be erased from the book of life. Your salvation will be sure. Your, your, your life in eternity will be promised and kept. Uh, Psalm 69 verse 28, it says, Let them be erased from the book of life and not be recorded with the righteous in speaking of those who rebel against God. Daniel 12, 1 talks about uh, the archangel Michael, the great prince who stands watch over your people. He'll rise up. There'll be a time of distress such as never has occurred since nations came into being until that time. But at that time, all your people who are found written in the book will escape. Your name being in the book of life, your name being written in God's book is an important thing. And so you want your name to stay there. And God is saying, if you remain faithful, your name will remain in the book of life. Now, there's also this picture. It's interesting. In this day and age, a city actually kept records of every birth and death, much like we would today, for census and tax purposes. Yes, they had to worry about taxes as well. And when you passed away, they would actually erase your name from the rolls of the city. 
And, and this is painting a picture of you no longer exist according to the city. And, and God is saying, that's not going to happen when you're faithful with me. Jesus is saying, walk with me, wake up in your faith, and your name will never be erased from the rolls of my heavenly city. Wow. So I have set a timer, those of you who don't know, I set a timer for 35 minutes. Last week, we were about this place, and I said, let's try one more church. And the sermon was an hour long, and I'm sorry. And so today, as hard as it is for me, we're going to exercise some restraint, and we're going to follow the timer, and we're going to try and rein it in a little bit, realizing we've got time to get through these churches. The church in Sardis, though, if, if we're going to really try and understand the whole picture, we come back to all that Jesus has to say. First, he is the one who is filled with the spirit. He is the one who is the keeper of every church. He is in charge and can give life to those who ask. And he says this about the church in Sardis and about churches throughout history and maybe even says it about some of us or all of us. You seem alive. You're coming to Bible study. You come to church when you, you find time. You look like you're a good person. You seem alive, but you're actually dead. Is that true for you? Is that where you're at in your spiritual life? Where you, people might go, yeah, yeah, you, you look alive, but you're dead on the inside and you feel it and you know it. Jesus' word for you today would be wake up. Stop being apathetic. Stop slumbering in your faith. Stop making excuses for yourself and re-engage with him. He says, wake up, strengthen what remains. There's no denying that you have a relationship with him, but you're slowly allowing it to atrophy and become nothing. Instead, strengthen it. Start working that faith out. Start working out your salvation. Lift some weights. Teach some Sunday school. Serve in children's church. Make some food. Say hello to people you don't know as well as you used to or have never known well at all. Work your faith out. Complete your good works. Remember what you've received and heard. So many of us have been given so many great lessons from God's word. And we just let them go by the wayside. <laughs> I went to a Christian school. We had chapel three times a week. And I slept through some of the greatest preachers in the United States in the early 1990s. Slept straight through them. I could have received so much. And because I was slumbering, it became of nothing to me. How many of us, we have these great words we've been given, great preachers. I'm, I'm not the great, best preacher and, and I'm not the only one who's ever spoken into your life. But I know you've heard great sermons and you've heard great teachings. And yet you just let it sit and get dusty and dead. Remember what you've received and heard and keep it. And repent of your slumber and your laziness. And the promise is, if you do that, you will walk in white with your Savior in perfect fellowship when you've conquered this world and its ways. So, 
as we wrap up today looking at the church in Sardis. Here is the simple summary of it all. Wake up. Remember what brought you to Jesus in the first place and repent of the excuses you've been making and allowing yourself to sleep and slumber in your faith. Wake up. Remember. Repent. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is critically important that you understand something that just as he will come in judgment for the unrepentant church, he will come in judgment for you as well. And sadly, what scripture tells us is that everyone who remains in their sin and rebellion against God chooses their own way, refuses to trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, will experience an eternity separated from God and others in a place of eternal anguish. That God created us in love and he created us to have relationship with him. But every one of us has rebelled against God, chosen our own ways, rejected his authority in our life. And in doing that, earned for ourselves that eternal punishment and the wrath of God. That's not funny, but I saw something that was funny and I'm sorry. The wrath of God is a terrible thing. And we've all earned that for ourselves, but God loved us so much that he sent Jesus. Second person of the Trinity, Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross to take your place, took the punishment for sin that you deserved, was buried and rose again on the third day, and promised that everyone who believes on him as Lord and Savior will be saved from sin. And brought into relationship. And so if you've never ever understood that. You've never made that profession of faith. Or maybe you understood for a long time. But you know you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to encourage you. As we take a few moments to just pray. That you would talk to Jesus about your salvation. Others of us, we need to wake up. And if you're asleep at the wheel and you're apathetic and you've got things you need to confess and remember and repent of, do that today. And I'll be up front here when we close in our last song and, and you can come forward. I'd be happy to pray for you, to counsel you. If you want to rejoice and share the fact that you've made a decision for Jesus or that you've recommitted your life in some way and you need the church's accountability, we'll be up here and we'd love to share and rejoice with you in that waking up and that remembering and that repenting. So as the worship team comes forward, if everyone would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And let's just spend a couple of moments. If you've never woken up from the slumber of sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you take a couple of moments and pray to him, confess your sin and your need for him, and submit your life to him as king and savior? And if if you have trusted Jesus, but you know you've been asleep at the wheel, you know that you have been asleep in your faith, would you wake up today, remember what he's done for you, and repent, and come back, and make make not empty promises, but dedicate yourself to do what you know to be right in living out your faith. So let's just take a couple of moments and you personally do business with God, whether it's waking up for the first time or waking up and repenting from the slumber that you've been in.
But let's talk to God. Lord Jesus, the one who has the the seven spirits of God and, and the angels of each church in your hand, we know that you care for us. We know that you long to see us rise up from the dead and rise up from our slumber and become truly alive in you. And so this morning, help us to have ears that both hear and listen to the words that you speak to us. Show us where we need to wake up. Show us where we need to stop making excuses for ourselves, allowing ourselves to be apathetic and not doing what we know to be right. Understanding that we're not working to earn our salvation, but instead we're working to glorify you and to be faithful Christians. Wake us up. Help us to remember as we turn away from the distractions of this life and back to you that we might come alive for real. We look forward to the day when all of us who believe are dressed in white in your presence and where we can no longer have to worry about the sin that so easily trips us up and and makes life so difficult. But instead, we'll be truly, perfectly holy and righteous in your sight and in your presence. And we'll be able to spend time together without fear of shame or rejection. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your power to overcome the sin that would have sent us to hell, but also the sin in our hearts that makes us feel dead today. Thank you for that, that you, when we confess and we repent and we wake up, can bring us back to life again. Help us to be alive. Lord Jesus, we know that when we remain faithful to you, that our name will never be removed from the book of life, but will be with you in eternity. Help us to find joy in this, to be comforted by it, but also to be convicted and take our walk with you seriously. May we wake up. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'll be up here at the front. If you'd like to pray. If you'd like to share a decision you've made, whether for salvation or repentance, come on up and let me know. And let's rejoice together as the people of God. Let's stand together and sing our last song. See the conquer mountain triumph See the king in royal states 
Riding on the clouds, his chariot to his heavenly palace gates. Hark the choirs of angel voices, joyful alleluia sing. And the portals high are lifted to receive the heavenly King. This that comes in glory with the trump of jubilee, Lord of battles, God of armies, He has gained the victory. He who on the cross did suffer, He who from the grave arose, He has vanquished Satan, he by death has spoiled his foes. They raced to the tomb. Angels stood by. Mary was weeping for the empty inside. For the sins of the world, for the sake of his pride, he went to his death, and behold, he's alive, he's right hand. There we sit in heavenly places. There with thee in glory stand. Jesus reigns adored by angels. Man with God is on the throne. Mighty Lord in thine ascension we by faith Behold our own, we by faith behold our own. As we look at Jesus and the promises he has for us, we can confidently know that those who wake up and repent and return will be restored and clothed in white on that final day. May you see Jesus this week. May you respond by waking up and coming alive and be ready to serve him as you know he's called you to. God bless. We'll see some of you guys downstairs for the VBS meeting as you repent and remember and do. And then others of you throughout the week. Still looking for volunteers for that kids ministry stuff. So check in with Missy downstairs if you're interested. God bless.